We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you, man? What's up? I'm, I'm great, except it's been raining for five days straight. I never thought I'd say that in Southern California. Isn't the weather the strangest thing in the world? Go figure. Pittsburgh's freezing again and with the weather and just just dealing with all these different things. And I know our guests, especially talking about New York City, SNL. So I'm excited to welcome program Robert Bannon. He's an SNL. He's been on SNL for four years, actor, musical theater performer. And I'm excited. Robert, stopping by. How are you, Robert? Hi, guys. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy all of the things. I hope you guys are hanging in there, especially in these crazy crazy times oh yeah crazy times especially it depends where you're living you know in the northeast we're dealing with it california dealing with it but other places in the country go figure it's the state you're in and COVID again. And, and and you could probably give us some updates on that especially being in new york and all that so let's go really quickly robert to start out sure. in your career and talk about did you always want to be this actor performer all those things was that something you were thinking about when you were a kid well Um, at 12 years old, I told my parents that I didn't want to play recreation basketball or baseball anymore. I wanted to go to dance and musical theater class. And, um, my thank God for supportive parents who were actually, uh, on board about it. And I went, I'm from Jersey. I'm born and raised in Jersey. So all we have here are diners and malls. So they took me to the Bergen mall and I learned how to dance and sing. And, um, I always wanted to, but when I turned 18 and had the chance to go to college for it, I gave up. I quit. I was scared. I was petrified. I went on my first Broadway audition and botched it. So I became a school teacher and I gave up singing and acting totally. I got my principal's license, got my master's in English. I was never going to sing or or act again. And then it wasn't for 15 years until it kind of chased me. So um, my one man show and my album and everything's called Unfinished Business because coming back to it has been kind of the thing that I always felt was missing. So I have always loved art. I've always loved entertaining. And I just did it in a classroom for a decade. And I wow. So you had a midlife some... crisis and you did something yes. about it. Say, Dave, you know, it's funny. That's my background too. I wasn't a principal, <laughs> but I was a teacher, school teacher for X amount of years. And then went back to entertainment, pro wrestler, teacher, entertainer. And it's in the same thing as you're talking about your one man show. I'm thinking about specifically how I kind of, went through that gamut of just a regular guy as a school teacher after being a professional wrestler to now back into the entertainment field and loving it more than ever. It's just weird how these things happen. Dave, don't you agree? If you talked about it before you're pushing the, you know, really your caregiving and gas station, really, you didn't talk about it and look at it now. You're the nationally known gas station guy. I know people (laughs) are calling me up 47 years in the business and, my mentor says, why aren't you doing this gas station thing? He says, I don't know. <laughs> Especially, see, you just never know. And it, it, it goes, I'm going to go into teaching. I'm interested in this, Robert. I, I really, we need to connect outside of uh, yes, this, this envi- environment because goodness gracious teaching. So in school, what did you, I think that it teaches us as, you know, you're a teacher, you're a principal, all these things that you learn to perform in front of kids. And kids well, are the worst people to perform in front of they're the worst dave you want to know you how you 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 screw up a lesson you'll know from the kids after the 40 minutes are up if they're sleeping if I, I didn't deal with the phones if they were anxious they didn't come out like being excited to be in your classroom so it was like a performance wasn't it hey yeah but Neil, you're over six feet you're pretty intimidating 
Yes, yeah, so, but I still had some entertaining classes at, at six foot ten. Six foot ten. Well, I know yeah. if I had a professional wrestler as a teacher, I'm sure I would definitely pay. <laughs> pay attention. I, I would no suplexing me uh, for not doing my homework. That's for sure. But I always say that I, I had 106 fifth graders, and you have 106 pairs of eyeballs on you throughout the day. You get real comfortable to just be yourself, which helps you be a performer because you know, being authentically who you got, you guys are being who you are right now and people are watching and that not everyone realizes that it's hard to act kind of natural, especially on stage. So the classroom was a show every single day and they are the toughest audience because they have no filter. So they'll tell you that that's not funny. I don't get it. I don't. (laughs) So were you the class clown when you were in uh, high school? No, I was petrified. I was so scared of my good little Italian Irish Catholic parents. I behaved myself. I wasn't, a, I flew out of a cannon late in life. I, I've gotten to wow. be this person later. I was always very well behaved. I didn't cause any trouble. But I, I love I can like, say the same thing, Dave. I was pretty much a clown at times, especially in high school. I, especially as an athlete, I'm in the back of the room, especially my senior year, like, who cares? I already got accepted to schools. And what I, and, and I didn't really get into education really seriously till my master's degree when i went for my master's in education and undergrad i was just like a history major and i'm finishing up at the end based on that and i'm like okay i'm going to be a pro i'm still going to do some other stuff i I went back and just to graduate i i dropped out of school to be honest we had college to go after my you you where have you been my whole life what are you (laughs) Our stories are so similar, except I never became a principal. I ran an after-school program, so I'm close to that in that way. And this man is an SNL. See, Dave, you never know who you're going to meet. I keep telling people who are podcaster, radio host, TV. When is it going to happen? It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you from the connections you talk to. They're right in front of you guys. You don't need to go and jump on Clubhouse, which I used to be addicted to. You can just do your show, meet amazing people every week, and transform your life. You never know who you're going to meet. So let's jump back, Robert, when you talk. So you said they were rotten. You had to really perform to make it happen. What happened next? So what made you say, okay, after 15 years, I'm going to walk. Did you do it on the side during when you were a principal and stuff entertainment I, school? No, I did nothing. I did no performing. I did no singing. I did no acting. I did nothing. And then what happened is I saw an off-Broadway show. I was going through a personal transition. I, I had broken up in a long-term relationship. I was lost. I went home. I was so upset and depressed. My 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 therapist was getting all of my good teaching uh, insurance money. <laughs> they probably bought a house down the Jersey shore with all my insurance paychecks. And I was really felt like something was missing. And I went home and my brother, who is um, not a performer at all, uh, said to me, I think that what's missing is you love art. You loved creating things and, and it's, you haven't done it. And I went to acting school at 34 years old. I just decided like, I'm going to, I'm taking two years. I'm going to a conservatory. I'm going to learn the Meisner technique. I'm going to learn how to become an actor. I'm going to get back to musical theater. I'm going to get back to singing. And it was really a lesson like, I must be insane, but I figured like we have these ideas in our head that these ages and these milestones make us not be able to do things anymore. And everybody has something they want to do and they're afraid to do it. So I just felt like it was now or never. So I just did it. I, I don't know. And I, I went to acting school, still taught, and then it just transitioned. And Saturday Night Live came about from an email. You talk about like weird, random moments in your life. I got an email saying they were looking for someone with blonde hair and blue eyes. 
And would I submit for Saturday Night Live? I thought it was a spam email. I thought it was fake because they're not randomly emailing me off of backstage or actors access website, actor profile. And then they said, we can't use you because we're looking for someone that has a, a shaved crew cut hair. And I was like, are you, if, if you will put me on Saturday Night Live, I will go to Supercuts on Lemoyne Avenue in Fort Lee, New Jersey, round the corner right now and shave my head. So the casting director was like, hold on, let me ask the director. If they hire you, you'll do it. And I said, yes. And a half hour later, they hired me. And I went to Supercuts and told the lady, just shave, shave my head. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And she remembered me. They remembered me because I guess in my own way, it was a way of standing out. And I said to her, it was a pre-tape um, parody commercial for what called Welcome. Uh, it was a TSA security announcement. And it was trying to show that me looking all scary. They put me in chains and I was carrying this big, scary bag. It looked like a gun. I got to go through the TSA line at the airport, but everyone else that did not look like me did not. <laughs> and I was the scary skinhead guy in the, in the, in the episode for lack. And she always remembered me. And I think <laughs> I just did like 24th or 25th appearance, which, you know, in the moment, and I know you guys must know this, you do this every day, you talk to people, and I love your show because you talk to the gamut. I mean, I've seen you, you could talk to Melissa Manchester and Ray J in a week, and I, I love that that's your guys' bag. That's amazing. Thank you. Uh, but what is what it, is that you don't realize it until you take a step back, and a friend of mine wrote me and said, I remember in being in middle school with you, staying up till 1130 to watch Saturday Night Live, and then you got to be there. And then it was like a moment where it clicked, like this is hollowed ground. It's insane. So um, it really came out of the blue and I never in my wildest dreams expected something like that to ever happen. So, so you, you were the most popular teacher in, in school. <laughs> were you trying to, to win that award? No. no, but what happened is when I started doing work, they Google me and they find me and um, they watch the videos and they listen to the music and, and the students have always been really successful. And I hope that in somehow it ins inspires them in some way to go yes. out there. When he left for teaching, it's really the interesting thing is that they make a movie friends. about your life, my friend. Oh my yes. Goodness. I, I, I don't. Uh, thank you. I so appreciate <laughs> that. I, I can't wait to it's see a, what's it's next. a great story. I, thank you. So working for SNL and what you do is you said you're a jack of all trades and involving yeah. us. I don't think people understand how many people are involved in one production of SNL. Can you kind of explain to us specifically like some of the things you've done on SNL and how sure. it's pretty much a production like any other production and that they need people to jump in on certain things. And well, who were the comedians when you were there? Because it keeps changing every year. He's still, sure. he's still working for them. He still, was there. Weeks, weeks. I mean, when you started, who were who was there? Well, the well, the guest hosts are always interesting to see because, you know, they change all the time and you do get to, and they do have various personalities and some of them are super friendly and, and, and personable. And then some are others that are, are very quiet and to themselves. That's the politically correct way of saying that, I think. Very interesting. <laughs> um, and uh, the cast is, is very, you know, what's amazing about it is it's in that studio and those cameras and the sound move from, it, they look like shoe boxes. The sets are built in little boxes that are around in a square. And those cameras move during the commercial break. And in two to three minutes, they set up a brand new set. And that crew is, they're not like a movie set where everything's staged and they just jump. They're moving and making it all happen in that space. That crew is, I don't know how they do it. The pressure and the anxiety of live television to get you the cast on and the camera set up, the sound set up and, they, and the costume and, and hair and makeup in three minutes is unlike anything. Um, 
They're a huge production. And, and sometimes there's 50 or 60 extra people on set for things, such as um, when Melissa McCarthy was doing the Sean Spicer interviews um, during all those press conferences, we would be ushered in and at being the press corps and we would have, you know, direction and they're, they're being yelled at. But what people don't realize is there's not a lot of rehearsal. You're rehearsing maybe once the day before and once or twice that day and you're live. And when they count down, they tell you five, four, 12 million people are watching. Don't mess this up. Three, two. And you're live. Have you're you got live. cue cards? They have cue cards. There's cue cards Thank and everyone are color coordinated and there's <laughs> and actions are color coordinated too. to ooh to ah, the camera comes in the sound effects like they, they have people that and they're old school cue cards. There's no teleprompter. On, on paper, yeah, because they change so often throughout the day. So um, I've gotten to be everything from playing violin with Jimmy Fallon and Harry Styles to playing bass uh, guitar in this as an episode called Electric Shoes, which is we danced down the middle aisle of Saturday Night Live. Um, I've, like I said, been in the press corps. I've been in the audience of rallies for political things. I've been moderating um, debates. I, I have been, I've been in the jury with the Jonas Brothers. I don't know. It's been no, such a bizarre, weird. Wow. Do and you that, do stand-up comedy? Do you have, you do that on the side too? Oh, I've never done stand-up comedy. I do cabaret, like my show is a very typical one-man cabaret style show called Unfinished Business where I tell my stories and sing. But what I've do never done that. Um, I do that all around. I, I, I'm, I'm in New York in April. I, I'm going to be in Maine this summer. I'm going to be in Jersey. I and just you've got videos. Well. Yeah, and you can find them on YouTube and um, watch the awesome. whole entire show. It's my story, but it's told to music. And so let's. I want to get back to this now. We're going to get back to the project. You see, you know your media train. You jump to that, and that's great. I want. I want to know the. So did you? Are you on every week? Are you on every week of Saturday Night Live, or you just do it? Is it, do they call you in? Sometimes they ask my availability every week. And as long as I'm available, I can be on every week. If there's a, a job during COVID, um, they really were very strict and they tried to limit it to the principal core cast members only. Um, and then they kept a core group of people that were available every day to be tested. So it was really hard. Um, last season in the height of it, I was only on two episodes. This season so far, I've been on two, I've been on an episode and then one episode, the sketch got cut because there's an extra hour of material that they cut every single night. They do a dress rehearsal at eight o'clock and there's about 45 minutes that gets cut that they don't get to air. So sometimes you can be in something and it never airs. Um, and then sometimes I was- Sometimes it goes on the following week, it no? goes on YouTube or it goes on the following, the following week. Um, and then the last episode, I, I was supposed to be there. And um, that was the episode that they canceled because of COVID right before they went on, where they they showed re they, they had the monologue and then they they had a limited staff because they had an outbreak. Uh, wow. So how many guys that, are working on there like you? Uh, it varies week to week. Um, sometimes it's three or four of us. And sometimes it could they could call in 50 wow. people. What a know, great job. So next year, if, you know, COVID, let's hope, disappears to a certain level then you'll be doing more hey, you'll episodes. have to just look look for me i'll be doing something odd and weird on on, on, on an episode so are all those skits on your youtube channel as well all your reels of the uh, some the good ones the, <laughs> the good <laughs> the good fun ones are you definitely can find the fun ones the ones that you can really the tsa one and the the violin and, and electric shoes they're on there they're under my um essence there's a section for it for sure so you said yeah. from seasons one and two you were there every week almost right so yeah. What what celebrity caught your eye the most that you guess guess celebrity you worked with that was the uh, thing for you? Gail, you know, wonder what that was a sketch that got cut. 
But Wonder Woman, Gail Godot, uh, like eight feet tall, beautiful, gorgeous, Israeli speaking, sweet, sweet. And it was just me, Keenan, uh, Leslie Jones and her. And I was playing a, a dad who has a stroller with a baby in it. And she had a stroller with a baby in it. And then her baby kept throwing things, throwing bottles and milk. And she was covered from head to toe in gook and stuff. And they cut the sketch and it was oh. really, it was really funny, but she was, she was so, so, so really, really sweet. Emma Thompson too. So, so sweet and polite and coming around and saying hello to everyone that was on set. Um, so there there's, it's, a, it's, I, I used to go to like the weirdest part about being at SNL is that it's an old building, you know, 30 Rock is old. So the dressing rooms are shared. We get put into kind of the Seth Meyers studio where they kind of set it up like a big dressing room for everyone in the, because the actors that are on the show every week, the principal actors, Keenan and, and Kate McKinnon and Cecily Strong, all those, they share dressing rooms. There's not a lot of space. Wow. So they all share a bathroom. So we all share a bathroom. So you would literally go into the bathroom and Alec Baldwin would be in the full Trump costume, like at the urinal. Like it'd be like, where am, what is where is this world that you are at the urinal? Alec Baldwin is in the way. So that's why probably the COVID that it's doesn't the, it's not it's not the best situation no, for social thing. And there's yeah, wow. All right, Dave, we any questions for SNL before we get into the cabaret some more? I'm interested. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm going to see them all. I'm going to go to YouTube and watch you, everything you did. Now you're going to make me go on and make sure it's up to date. I'm going to have to. <laughs> there you go. See, so none of your students uh, like took a camera and, and did that stuff? Oh, they watch and see it. They sure do. They watch so, and see it. They, they comment on it. Um, they ask me, the last episode I was on, Taylor Swift was the musical guest. So they asked me if I saw her and I did see her in the hallway. Like I didn't speak to her, but you know, they get there. They're, they're, it's so funny because when you look at, 10 year olds and 11 year olds, they see the, they, they're so innocent and, and they just think like, you know, you can, everyone's just friends and show business is like, you can be hanging out and having a slice of pizza together. It's not like that, but, but I, but I'm, I'm always impressed and that they will stay up late and their parents and parents conferences through the years when I was teaching and, and doing all of this would say like, we listen to you or we watch you on TV and it's bizarre. It's no, what I mean, cool. were they filming you in class? Was YouTube around <laughs> in those days? You don't look that old. <laughs> no, oh, oh, God bless you. Thank you. Um, I am, um, and I um, and I just turned thirty-eight. I I um. I used to be thirty-eight. <laughs> I they they loved they they always are impressed. But I, listen, I'm a school teacher from New Jersey. You know, like that's how I I, I and so I, I love happy about teaching. Are you still trying to be involved in teaching and acting and stuff? Because I, I do try to be involved in education and I, I do make it a big deal. And I've, I've taught musical theater and I've taught, I, I, I just want to be, you know, a really corny answer and it's not my media train answer. I swear it's I'm, I want to just be of service. I think that art is, you know, you guys do a service, you put on a show, you entertain people and inform people. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, like good art and good conversation and stuff is to serve the people watching. So if I can help and teach in any way, anything that I've learned along the way that, that I think that's my, my mission, I hope. All right. I like it. <laughs> well, as you know, I'm, I'm in the gas station business, but uh, halfway through my life, my wife had a headache. She had a stroke. I became her caregiver. I was totally unprepared, made all the mistakes. 25 years I've been doing this. She lost her speech, became paralyzed. And now I'm, I'm caregiver Dave. So I've got my own little industry that I'm, I'm helping caregivers stay alive. 30% of them die. Got caregiverdave.com. Now they're making a film about my life. Uh, should have a, a rough cut in a couple of months. 
I'm, I'm releasing my fourth book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon uh, Wisdom for Uncommon Times. So, I mean, I got a lot of things in the fire here. I try to tell people that if you're not a caregiver, just wait, you're either going to become one or need one. Have you ever thought about, you know, maybe you're going to have to care for your parents or, or grandparents or something like that? I don't mean to laugh, but that's very, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but for you guys watching my life from afar, Dave, firstly, you made me feel like the laziest person in the world because how do you have four books and, and all of, and, and gas stations and caretaking? I'm older than you. No, I'm exhausted for you. I'm I, we're going to have, someone's going to have to come get you, order some food and take yeah, the a nap. caregiver who needs a caregiver. I, um, my, my parents are, uh, of a certain age now. And, um, my father, you know, has had a lot of health issues throughout the years and it's been a, a real, uh, thing to take care of him. You know, he has heart conditions and diabetes, diabetes and all of that stuff. And, you know, bouts of the hospital and all of that stuff. My mom works at a hospital. So, wow. you know, my family are all first line kind of first responders. My brother's a police officer. My mom works at a hospital and, and things like that. So people who are taking care of people is like the greatest. And you do I comedy. And I never write and I, <laughs> I pretend for a living. And I um and uh, they I I think that it is a conversation and I wish people took it more seriously and planned because people don't plan until it's almost like a reaction. Right. You know, people wait until there's a major yes. catastrophe in their family and, and then they have to scramble. So thank God for people like you because that's important and really important stuff. I'm gonna and, go on air and call him out. He needs to make this a foundation. And make yes. it the biggest thing ever that I can get all the celebrities to support Dave. And Dave, I'm telling you, I'm going to call you out on December 30th, 2021. You have to go that route because I think that you would have so many celebrities backing you. And then you write the book and it's in yeah. the. I'm definitely going to start after this book gets released. Uh, that's my next book. And but what about a foundation for Caregiver Game? You got to think of it. There's money available and you never know. So uh, going back to this teaching connection, go figure, right, Dave, how we find these connections. A lot of our story. Robert, I think that as a teacher, you see now you can teach to the world, correct? And I think that's the big thing that brings your passion is the classroom. You only have a certain amount of kids you can reach. You can reach the world and teach to the world. So what are your like goals the next years that what you want to accomplish what is that ultimate goal that you want to accomplish um yeah you know, i've really put a lot of focus on um putting out the message you know the, the like i said to you before the idea this moniker this unfinished business moniker when, at the end of my show i say like everybody out there it could be to travel to learn a language to go back on that first date to go to to start an etsy shop i don't know whatever the desire is that's inside of people it doesn't have to be show business. It doesn't have to be something big. It's something small. So for me, it's been really to, to teach that lesson for me. I wasted, I didn't waste, but for 15 years, I let fear rule my life and, and stop me from doing what I really wanted to do. And I, yeah. it makes me upset that people go through their whole life without the, doing what right. they love to do. For me personally, um, it's just to continue to go out there. I want to work. I, you know, I'm a workhorse. I want to work. I want to, I want to get, I want the world to be healthier and better so that I can, I want to, I want to, you know, be on stage somewhere. I want to be on set somewhere working. I just <laughs> like to work. So, um, right. Fear is the killer. Fear is the killer. You know, Sinatra said the only thing to, um, there's nothing, the, the secret to life is that to not be afraid of anything. Something like, he didn't say it exactly like that. He said it much cooler than me, but like, that's it. That's the secret. There is nothing to be scared of. So exactly. Cause the opportunities come. 
Where can we false get evidence appearing real? The best place we can go to find out about your music, your your show, all those things. Where can we go? You could go to robertbannon.com and you could find me on Instagram at Robert M. Bannon because someone in Ohio took Robert Bannon. I don't know who they are, but I'm going to find them. Ugh. But I, would, if I was a wrestler. I think I don't think I don't I don't think I'd be a heel. I think I'd be a baby face. I see. I'm a, I'm a heel. And that's what I'm <laughs> a that's it. Well, then that's it. And this is the ultimate. This is the match. We got to set up for the match when I'm ready. The, let's set that match up. You know, definitely. <laughs> On I'm SNL, on SNL, talk about a wrestling. I'll be the rev. Yes, Done. No, exactly. On SNL, let's make it happen. I'm, <laughs> sure you, I'm sure you have the connections. All right, Robert, we appreciate it again. And happy new year. Happy new year. And Dave, I cannot believe 2021 is almost gone. But again, got one more day. You guys make those days happen. You got to make it through one more day. Yeah, we'll see you in 2022, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, that was the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. Take Lunch. care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. I'm excited to walk in. welcome to the show. Nobel Prize nominated doctor. He is an author, speaker, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? I'm doing great, Neil. How are you? Good. And you wanted to celebrate specifically enough about two and a half years uh, the Dr. Christopher Hall Show has been going on for, right? Well, you know what? That's very important. It has been two and a half years. And I think, you know, kind of this uh, year in review, again, I'm, you know, looking back over the years, uh, 2021, and, and just looking at some of the people we've been able to talk to and bring on to the air. And um, if we're talking about, you know, uh, we can look at rap stars, Ray J. Uh, we had um, three-time heavyweight uh, champions uh, also interviewed. And I think the message, you know, that we're bringing across to America and the message that we want to bring across America has been the same. And that message is that we are um, to be uh, uh, to give a good a good um, um, summary of of what's going on here in America and how we can continue to motivate young people. Absolutely. I think that's the thing. It's interesting. Every story we hear about is specifically a life-changing experience, a mentor or somebody who turned their life around. And you always ask those specific questions each and every week on the show with the celebrities. And they, you really learn about those people that mentored them and they, the challenges they went through and then were able to overcome to become who they are today. Exactly. And I think that the whole thing with the show and the point that I hope we've been getting across for over the last couple of years is really it's the show of a young man who pretty much grew up with nothing, you know, in Compton and Watts in California, who believed in the American dream. OK, who went off and became an officer, a captain in the army and went off and became a doctor. And this is the message that we want to get out to our young people in America that particularly during this time where we're seeing a lot of misinformation, we're seeing all these, um, uh, all the threats that are actually coming, you know, uh, from places like China, where it's the COVID virus or, or other, other uh, aspects of that, that society, that we're in America, that we're free, that we have opportunity, that we come into to this world sometimes with nothing, but that we can be anything in a free society who we want to be. And so that's the main message of the Dr. Christopher Hall show. And that's also the main message of the book, War to the Court. 
Exactly. And then that message is very, very important and powerful. And the athletes we talked to, Chris, they, they blew you away, especially even think about even Brett Favre and different people that, you know, really each one of them really had a gift and they had to figure it out through challenges and stuff like that. Especially you, you didn't have a father figure and you really had to figure out things in so many ways to be able to success that you are today. You know, that's very important. You know, certainly father figures are important. And again, you mentioned Brett Favre and how his father was important to him. His father was a coach and Brett Favre is, grew up in kind of a humble background. His mom being a teacher, his dad was a coach. And right here, really, uh, on the, uh, uh, here on the Gulf Coast and, uh, and grew up uh, to be a famous football player and also motivated lots of young people. And, uh, and so that is the potential of the American dream. Uh, the will, the belief, the idea, that's what keeps bringing people to America's shores year after year is that the hope that we can be whatever we want to be as long as we have a goal, we believe in ourselves, and we stay positive and believe in God. Absolutely. And the surprise is through this process of the journey of Dr. Christopher Hall show, we've been covering COVID more lately and it's because it's been the most important thing that you wanted to get really the truth out in certain ways and that's correct and that's the other thing as americans is we believe in the truth incidentally and again you know myself being a physician a medical doctor i wanted to get that truth out to the american public we wanted to know the origin of the COVID virus we wanted to know how did this deadly virus which was atypical very much different than the flu, how was it able to kill and affect so many Americans and spread so quickly? And we dug and we spoke and we did a lot of other things. We had to stand up. A lot of doctors turned away, turned the other cheek. Again, there was uh, censorship, okay? And, and so many doctors were afraid to speak up, but we had Dr. McCullough on our show one of the top experts in the world on the COVID virus. We had Dr. Ben Marble, who was the founder of MyFreeDoctor.com, his service saving uh, hundreds and thousands of lives across America and getting out free uh, medicine. Uh, and certainly I worked with that company as he asked me to join it. But we were able to, again, um, educate the public, give them uh, the correct facts about COVID and how uh, they could survive uh, epidemic. And so I think that, um, you know, the utility of this show, breaking news, motivation, and again, motivating our young people to believe in the American dream. And as we move on into 2022, I think we can look back over the last two and a half years of Dr. Charles and say that what we set out to do, what you and I initially set out to do, I think we certainly are achieving those goals. Oh, we're definitely achieving those goals. And you're right about the two and a half years. I wouldn't have thought of this because 2020 was the crazy year and we didn't expect any of that. And it changed it transformed everything. I remember getting you booked about COVID before COVID was even out, right? Dr. Hall, meaning like it was just in China and where we are today. I can't believe two years. It's crazy what's happened and where we're going as a country and everything, and you are the one that's bringing that information out there, and especially be nominated as a Nobel Prize nominated doctor is such a powerful thing, Chris, that you're saying, wow, what's next for you, right? 
No doubt. And it's something I would have never really thought of. And again, I think that being on uh, uh, the Neil Haley Network, and uh, again, you and I are forming this show, the Dr. Griffith Show, was very instrumental in the nomination for the Nobel Prize. And so it was certainly an honor it is. But I think also more importantly is that we were able to get out life-saving information about early treatment um, with important medications now that uh, many doctors are using and many countries have used across the world to curb the plight of COVID and to save hundreds of thousands and even millions of lives. And so, again, as we move into 2022 and as we leave 2021, um, we can feel, I think, as a show and certainly as a network, that uh, we've done a lot of great things to affect uh, the American public. Well, we appreciate uh, this again. As doc- everyone needs to go ahead and make sure they like and subscribe uh, to Dr. Christopher Hall and check out his show. And ne- next year, some big, big guests. I can't believe we're, we're closing out to the new year next year, 2022. Who knows who's going to be next, next big guests, next big topic. We appreciate Dr. Hall, and we'll talk soon. Well, no problem. Well, happy new year to you, Neil, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, cool. That was the Dr. Christopher Hall Show, guys. Take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? Two days to the new year. Can you believe wow. it? 2021 is about to say sayonara. It's been a crazy year. And I just think it's been better than 2020. So I'll take it. You know what yeah. 2020 was to 2021 and where 2022 is. So yeah. Dave. Just a bad new dream, but are, not a nightmare, right? Are you, are you building your New Year's resolutions right now? Are you putting those oh, together? I always have my New Year's, always have my New Year's resolutions right on the tip of my tongue. Yes, I'm going to speak at the White House. I'm going to speak at Congress. Just a whole bunch of good stuff. And you make sure you have it. And that's the, the thing. And that's exciting. And uh, I'm excited about our guest. The re- it's interesting. I'm a little jealous. He's in Brazil right now filming. And that's so he and he just finished filming in Africa. And I'm excited to welcome for him. Samuel K. Forrest of Hip Feet. He's a film director and actor. And he also I was really interested in this thing. He was part of Street Survivors, the true story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. Uh, Samuel, thanks for stopping by. How are you, man? It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And it's, uh, yeah, it's lovely to be here. And it is an interesting, I was listening to you guys talking about how it's the end of the year. And it's a little bit like deja vu, but hopefully we've all learned a little bit more and end the new year strong. So, yeah, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Especially if you're not in London where, you know, lockdown's going more and more in the United States. Yeah. It depends where you're at and everything. Exactly. And I don't yeah. even want to mention COVID because COVID's just part of life. So let's talk yeah, about yeah, yeah, Did you always want to become a filmmaker. Is that something growing up you wanted to do? I think it was kind of in my blood. But as you know, I grew up with, uh, well, when you grow up with family who are like struggling artists or in the film business, you kind of see the realities of it. So you definitely avoid that world for a while. And then eventually, I guess the acting bug kind of just took a hold of me. And uh, my mom was always very adamant. If you want to do acting, you got to do Shakespeare and theater and, you know, read and, and all this stuff. So I got into doing theater when I was quite young. And so, and then that naturally progressed into making films. It's actually an interesting story because I was doing a, a play. I was uh, acting in a play in London. And my friend who was the director on the show got really sick two weeks beforehand. So I had never planned on directing, but he knew I was good with actors. So he was like, why don't you, um, why don't you step in for me? 
when we lead up to dress rehearsal and into the show starts and the creative director saw me directing and he's like, oh, you're really quite good at this. Would you like to direct a play in the future? And so it was quite uh, un unplanned to become a filmmaker myself. I always thought it was quite daunting. And then I was shooting a film in India where I was helping on someone else's project. Um, and the director just kind of had a meltdown. So I had to kind of pull it together and end up finishing, helping finish the shoot. And so after those two experiences, I kind of realized that like there was a lot of passion and I could kind of see that was part of my best self would come out, bringing people together, giving them the freedom and to express themselves, but also the trust that was important. But then coming from an actor's family and background, I understood the, how well actors can be emotionally naked. So it was very easy to communicate with them. And that led me to like naturally falling in love with storytelling and how to kind of bring all the pieces together, so to speak. Wow, so it was such an un unusual uh, progression. So yeah. how many how many films did you act in before you started doing that? Well, I had done mostly theatre, so a lot of theatre coming from England, that's kind of the route you go. Um, and then I had acted in about four films before I realised, OK, I kind of understand how the ins and outs work of this. Um, and uh, one in San Francisco, one in New York, and then, of course, Street Survivors, which was a very interesting experience because you're playing a real person, which was Steve Gaines, and rest in peace, who was a great guitarist and kind of virtuoso who died too young, was one of the, with, with Ronnie Van Zandt was one, and his sister actually, which is uh, Cassie, which is quite tragic. They all died in a plane crash that happened, um, uh, which everyone knows. And so it was quite, a, there was this responsibility to understand the person and to kind of really understand like what was his passions, his motivations and, and kind of what made him feel alive. And so that was really kind of an honor. Um, and also to learn the music was a lot of fun um yeah and then and then yeah and then i did a film in it in, in the uk and then like i said in india so and all independent stuff but it all definitely taught me how to to to, to kind of uh deliver but also to follow through and kind of the ins and outs in front of the camera and behind the camera so after those experiences you start to pick up little wisdom and knowledges and you're like okay i understand how this how the how the ins and outs work and then you I went off and wrote the script in the film that we're talking about hippie which is the one in Berlin I had act, after acting in those films I had this idea where I was completely inspired by the city of Berlin and its nightlife and its kind of counterculture that I um I started writing that script and I found the right window um in 2018 to develop it and then 2019 we mostly shot it and a little in 2018 but mostly 2019 and got very lucky because um, the film is, you know, a lot of clubs and partying and wild nightlife and intimacy and, you know, the rave world, which I, I knew I wouldn't have been able to shoot um, now, for example. So exactly. I like so you jumped, you jumped on at the right time. We'll go into the to the yeah. film a little later. I wanted to kind of talk about the role of learning the music of Leonard Skinner. Did you, okay. did you were you familiar with the music before that? Yeah, yeah, I, I had heard the music before. I mean, there's some classic songs on there, but we had to feel like during the band process, we had to learn um, how to, uh, you know, to be realistic, you know, and these are great songs. And so I think they did it when they were casting, everyone could play their instruments, I think, except for one or two of us. So I had, a, when I was living, I was, had a place in LA, I was living where we had a home studio. And so, cause I live with all these musicians. And so we just go in and do rehearsals, which it was a great experience because um, some of the players, the, the existing players would come over while we were rehearsing, which was, which was quite surreal, you know, to be rehearsing with the, some of the guys from the original band. 
Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of beautiful. So we'd have rehearsals and we just kind of would learn all the songs as much as possible. And, and, and I think only parts of it ended up in the film, but it was a great process of camaraderie and to kind of get to feel like we were a family with the other guys who were the band members. And so that was a great way to kind of have to learn the music together. Wow. I bet your parents yeah. are very proud. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. To be honest, I don't even know if they've seen it. But yeah, but yeah, so, no, they, they're, they're, they're amazing and very, and very supportive. And you know, they've always kind of been there, but also taught me the reality of what this world is like. You know? So what you're talking, I want to jump back into that family atmosphere. You were in the industry of entertainment growing up. How yeah. was that? How was that being able to see that? Because I could see that my children, if they start to look at specifically acting or performing or different things, they're going to really see, well, I saw, you know, dad doing TV. I saw dad even back in the days when he was a professional wrestler later on, when they start to understand who I was then mm -hmm. to who I am today and they feel yeah. comfortable and they say, oh, I want to take after that person and do that. You were exposed to it, like what kind? Is it more theater they were doing, or do they do films as well? It was open. It's uh, it was a bit of both. I mean, it was kind of in the flood, so to speak, because my grandmother was an actress in Europe, oh. and my grandfather was, and then there was a kind of a long lineage of, of actors and uh, lesbians, and so it was something that definitely growing up with that reality and that struggle definitely makes you want to not do that for a while, you know but you kind of are raised in this environment that is quite open to explore and to question things. And so that was, I was always grateful for, but they were also very adamant that if you want to do this, you have to do it seriously. And, you know, my mom used to read me a lot of theater and Shakespeare and she was an actress and my dad did acting and was in a couple of interesting things back in the day, um, like the original Star Wars and the film Reds and like Nikita and stuff like that. Oh, really? So he, yeah, oh. he had been, he had been What was in he in the world. original Star Wars? How was uh, he? What they, they, he was in a role called The Fixer, which they had actually cut out of their last cut. But I think it's in the extended version now, but it's, 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 it's quite, uh, uh, I didn't, at the time, he never thought it would be a big thing, but, you know, Star Wars conventions are huge. So uh, he's that, uh, you know, when Alex, Gin Alex Guinness kind of goes in and he tries to, um, to wipe the memory of that stormtrooper and he's like that one stormtrooper in the movie who speaks? Yes. So that's that's my dad. So so it, it kind of became this thing that we kind of became like a famous line, I suppose. And uh, and it was really funny because originally he had a bigger role and they cut it out of the film. And I guess George Lucas was like, well, we also need people to play stormtroopers. Do you want to play this stormtrooper? And so then cut to 20 years later, when we were struggling at times, it was like this weird blessing for him because when we were like we couldn't have food on the table, sometimes he would found out that like, oh, this is an important thing to people. And so he was able to like kind of go around to all these comic cons and like find out there was a huge support behind all the Star Wars characters, which is something he had no clue about until, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And so it was this weird thing where it kind of it had been helping our family for decades without really knowing. Um, and then he'd just been around it, though. I think he had spent a lot of time with and he got into music producing in, uh, in London. So he'd been around the ins and outs of people of all status and all levels of creativity and and uh, and then became kind of a struggling writer. And then my mother was an actress who, you know, became a, a, a teacher and a drama therapist. So it was always a world where I could challenge myself and explore, but it was also a reality where I grew up completely what the reality was like, you know? And so that was very eye-opening, but also at times you were like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I see the struggle. Um, uh, but in the long run, I guess you can't escape your, uh, your fate in some way. And the passion just overwhelmed me. 
once I really dove into it. But it also taught me if you really want to create, you have to collaborate with other people, serve their story. But it also taught me to kind of write yourself or to tell your story. So I'm a big encourager of people telling their story and trying to get them because the biggest way to kind of get that, I get it out there or to express or to learn, which I think is the most important is to some way tell your story in whatever medium or whatever way that is or whatever way you want to communicate it. And so I learned through their struggle, it's better not to wait on people. You know, because if you wait too much, sometimes maybe you'll just keep waiting, expecting. Exactly. Better to Davey, there still? So, you know. Yeah. 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 Sorry if I keep rambling. But, no, uh, no, no, that's awesome. And so, uh, Dave, I wanted to go back to you for a second. I want to say the story is it's very interesting that family members and how they're involved in specific things. I talked to Steve Torme mm -hmm. last week, Mel Torme. Yeah. Uh, son and Mel Torme is famous singer and Steve it ended up being his stepdad uh, March Steve March was his biggest influence because mm. he didn't see his dad till later but his yeah. talent came out from Mel yeah. is yeah. that interesting Dave, Dave that's yeah. the interesting thing is your your bloodline at times you might not know if you know if you didn't spend as much time with that person that that characteristic comes comes alive yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's definitely, I definitely think so. I mean, it's just also a lot of times with creativity, I think it's given, been given the permission, you know? And that's yeah. why I think film school or theater school or any creative outlet or any expression or communication is a big part of it has been giving the permission to do that. And so I'm very grateful they did give me that permission to, to kind of explore that was. And, and people do think you're a little bit far-fetched or it's not realistic, you know? But then once you start to find your footing, it's a little bit easier to inspire people and have them trust you and to... To actually, you know, create together. So hey, you actually remind me of uh, Drew Barrymore and her famous family of Barrymores, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, were your parents kind of shocked that not only could you act, but you, you know, write, to direct, and uh, especially the writing? I mean, did they do any of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, I think they're a little bit surprised because when I was younger, I was like so opposite wanting to do that you know I, I think it was like growing up with that reality of struggle you're like yeah that world is you know that it's fun as it is it's it's a very unpredictable world and uh but then I think they saw that when I did it I'm very tenacious so I kind of really dove right into it and through theater and through all these things I really started to learn and grow it and to really really fall in love with it but they were also very they also were very quick to give me the reality of what this was but it was only to be honest it was only till recently that they started to kind of take it a lot more seriously um because I think it's like once you say you're going to write this and go halfway across the world and do it people are like okay yeah you're you're mad you know what are you talking about and then once you start to go to the first and then the second one and then you're working on the third like okay maybe he doesn't know what he's doing he's not a complete you know madman and uh and so now they've become more accepting of it but they were definitely quite frightened and at times i'm sure they are a little bit daunted when i'm like okay i'll talk to you in you know four weeks i'm going to west africa they're like what i was like yo or like you know I'm, I'm i'm gonna be gone here for a while and i think now they've kind of just think that oh, well that's sam you know that's you know, it's just they're kind of understanding of it, but it definitely took a while before they were very accepting of it in some way. But they understood the 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 the, the process of it. But I definitely had to, you know, uh, to to kind of just leave with my actions, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, makes yeah, sense. So, 
Uh, I was the same way. You know, I come from a gas station family. And I did everything to yeah. get out of it because I hated it. Yeah. And uh, I came back and now I'm you yeah. know, gasolineexpert.com and I'm making uh, yeah. television appearances about the gas industry, et cetera. So it's yeah, really well, that's amazing. That's the thing. We all are on our hero's journey, so to speak. And you kind of learn. Um, and that goes back to the film, which is a film for me was a big thing about, you know, the outsiders, the people who want to leave yes. their comfort zone and to get away from the kind of, you know, the norms of maybe where they grew up and were curious enough to kind of challenge the status quo right. and leave, leave that comfort zone. So that reminds me a lot of what Hip Peak deals with is like the outsiders, which is a big thing in Berlin is there are a lot of people searching for things, but also did they had one thing that was kind of universal is that everyone was kind of from somewhere else. But I think New York's like that, or maybe even Pittsburgh or LA. There's a lot of cities, major cities, where people do have this assimilation where they come from a different place um, and they're searching for something, you know? So I can understand that, you know? So tell me a little bit, Samuel, how that project came about. You're the filmmaker for this, right? This is your pro this is your project, right? You're big. Hit, hit me. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it was the catalyst of it was I visited my siblings who helped, uh, you know, work on the project as well kind of a, you know, family unit thing at times, um, who are also creatives, one's a dancer and the other one's a musician. Um, and uh, what, what we had done is that when I had visited them, I thought this great, the rave scene, the nightlife, the club scene, the the, art, the creative scene was so fascinating and interesting and, and challenging and inclusive that I thought it was very inspired by this kind of all corners of the world kind of coming together and this kind of experience of kind of not only unity but also just like celebration of love and so I was like I had never quite seen I'd seen that in, LA, in different cities around the world but in that way of where like being strange or a little outsider or kind of weirder the better is more celebrated there in some way and I thought that was such a great catalyst uh, of seeing my sibling story and kind of writing it based around that um, and kind of that world and so I visited there and then I was inspired after I shot this film in India, I was like, I have to go there. And I started writing the script and I absorbed the world for about six to eight months while developing everything and kind of really like lived and immersed myself in the rave scene, the club scene, the queer scene, the activist scene, uh, the, you know, the, the nightlife. The, and, and it was a kind of amalgamation during the writing process of also meeting people, whether it was like in a theater show, a live performance, um, anywhere and then I would kind of you'd feel like oh that's the right spirit for this role or that's right this but having my siblings already involved in the community wow. was very easy access to a world that is so exclusive like people are very hesitant about opening up the things that are very personal to them and um so there was a big responsibility to, to make the film with the community I didn't want it to feel like oh we're these outsiders or people who don't understand or aren't assimilating or going through the same things where we're coming in and making this film. We wanted to make it a collective thing where we cast a lot of the extras or small roles from people we met in the rave community or in the activist community, or, you know, or, you know, and to just not only for authentic purposes, but also to make people feel like they could trust us because we were given access to some of the most exclusive clubs in the world. Wow. Awesome. So it yeah. So, and one thing I add about that, Samuel, so you talked about the rave scene. So it's a lot of EDM then, right? In yeah, there are some. Uh, I mean, it's definitely. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, it's there's the rave scene, which is all genres of music, but it is a nightlife. I mean, the film uh, takes span over 120 hours, so it's you know that was the longest club that would stay open in Berlin. So I thought it was an interesting kind of parallel to like what's the longest club and how much can you do in this time frame? When I was writing the script, how much can you do in the span of how long the longest club in Berlin stays open for? 
and it was 120 hours, five oh my days. Gosh. Yeah, most are about 40 to 8 to 72 hours where they're consistent. They're open the entire time, which I think is, you know, and all kudos to people who can do that. But, you know, I, I could never do that. But, it, I, you know, um, it was something where I was like, that's an interesting way to piece the time frame where it's in that short window of what you can do in essentially less than a week which is how long the club was because when I was writing the script, we'd go around and meet all these people and I'd absorb the world. And I kind of realized that these people do a lot in a short period of time. Like I had met people who would go to a protest in the day and then they would rave at night and then they would go hang out with their friends or then they would be with their, their girlfriend or their boyfriend or like, or then they would be at the park or then they would go to work. Or then they, there, there were all these things that would happen in a short window of time, which I thought was a really interesting thing to kind of deal with narratively. Um, and so it was something where the inspiration was just overwhelming. So I was like, I'd never seen a, a world where the nightlife had blended so much with just everyday life, if that makes sense, like nurses and lawyers, doctors, teachers, like airline pilots, all these people would be in the rave scene because it was like the way of like venting in a way. So it's not like in most cities, like, you know, I spent a lot of time in LA and London where, you know, there's a separation of maybe certain people who hang out in certain scenes everyone would kind of collided. So I thought that was really fascinating to kind of see people kind of overlap in this nightlife and this world that was so open when it was this freedom that people could literally just go there and do whatever they want as long as they respected somebody's space, you know, and didn't like overstep, overstep their boundaries in a physical or like, in a, you know, in a, in a very threatening way, you know. That's so yeah. interesting. So yeah. Dave, uh, you're, Final question is always a caregiving question. Go ahead and ask that to Samuel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as I said, I'm in the gas station business and all of a sudden I become a caregiver overnight. Now I'm, yeah. I'm writing That's books. I'm, I'm traveling all over the country, uh, speaking on television and speaking yeah. on stages. And, and now they're making a film about my life. Apparently they That's think amazing. my life is interesting enough. They're going to yeah. be getting a rough cut out in a couple of months here. So I have no wow. idea where I'm going, but uh, fate and destiny is kind of leading the way. But yeah, you, my, my message is that, uh, you know, being a caregiver, I made a lot of mistakes and I discovered yeah. that I almost burned out. 30% of caregivers actually die before yeah. their loved ones do. The rest of them are hospitalized and need a caregiver. So, I mean, have you ever thought about this, this prospect that your parents one day might need care and, and you may have to put everything on hold to, to be their caregiver? Yes, of course. I mean, one, thank you, because it's much more noble what you're doing than necessarily making oh. films. It's, you know, so thank you for you what you're doing, do. especially in these times, you know, and it's really noble. And um, and yeah, yeah I, I, I think about it a lot, actually. You know, I think a lot of times we, we take for granted, uh, you know, growing old is a beautiful thing, but also how society treats it, how society treats it and how youth take it for granted, you know. And I think hopefully the pandemic has reawoken these questions and maybe people really understand looking at things um, you know, uh, to be not only to be grateful, but to understand what needs to change, you know, and to be aware of these things moving forward and to learn from the mistakes. And, you know, being a caregiver is, a, you know, a healer, someone who's, who's very selfless. So that's amazing. And I do think about these things a lot with my family, you know, especially my dad's much older than my mom, you know, mm. and, 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 you know, how age is. And, and I also think about how we look at, you know, uh, dealing with a lot of people who are elderly or dealing with a lot of people who need care. And, and how, what needs to change to make it not only more accessible, but more comfortable, but also to, to bring a voice to this, you know? I, 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 it's something that does weigh on my mind a lot. And my parents, you know, you, I think it's, it's definitely something where you want them to have their own independence and freedom. 
and support them where they can and, and what they're doing. And they're, they're, luckily they still have each other, um, you know, but it, it is something I do talk to my mum a lot about because my dad is much, much older and he, you know, he, he just, you know, has some health problems and stuff. Yeah. And so it's important to bring these questions and this awareness to, you know, because I, I think a lot of times in the US, the UK or even Europe, we tend to just try and discard it and not want to deal with it. But mortality is part of life, you know, and how we deal with these things and, 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 and also addressing that through your actions and what you're going through and giving these speeches is extremely important to help you bring that, that awareness, like I said, but also to start making policy or actual changes of how we distribute money to it, but also how do we address, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing when you're, you're, you're you know, in, in society, because, you know, I'm not to go on a tangent, but I find the youth is, you know, naive and doesn't know what it's talking about. And the elderly who have the most wisdom are usually told to shut up and to be discarded. So yeah. it's like this weird thing where I think we can learn from everything, especially the people who've gone through so many things. So I think taking a breath and listening to each other, and I'm sure you hear some pretty compelling, moving stories about people who have so much wisdom to share. So it's nice that you're vocalizing that and then expressing yeah. it to other people. It's really powerful. And I'm releasing my fourth book on wisdom called Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times. That's yeah. coming out February 4th. So the That's website amazing. is caregiverdave.com. Excited I about look forward to, I would love. I look forward to reading. That's amazing. And, oh, and it's great. amazing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I'll make sure congrats. you Thank you. And congrats on, uh, on, on them making it into a story. In the yeah, film. go figure. Yeah, it's crazy. As Samuel talked about before, you never know when those opportunities come and don't be afraid for them to knock. And we're going into that time. Where can people check out HipBeat? Where's the best place? Uh, it's on Amazon, um, Amazon Rentals, Amazon Prime. It's going to be next month, but it's on Amazon at the moment. YouTube Rentals, Google Play, and it will be on Tico, which is a section of Amazon, uh, a queer streaming service next, um, uh, early next month. And then it will also be on Apple in Europe in the spring. But so, but Amazon, YouTube, Google Play uh, at the moment. All right. We appreciate well, it, Samuel. Good luck uh, with yes. all your ventures and yeah, all this stuff. And thanks again, Dave, and I uh, appreciate you both. Yeah, thank you. And, and stay safe out there and uh, happy holidays. Enjoy New Year New Year's. All right, you too. And we happy appreciate New Year's, you, everybody. Neil. All right. Yeah, thank you, Neil. It's, All right, take care, guys. Happy New Year. Thank All right. You. Okay, guys, that was the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. Take care. <laughs>